You know, there's so much to the idea of perspective. What do they say about hindsight? Crystal clear, right? 2020. And when we're talking about looking in the mirror and seeing things a certain way and having perspective, we're also each week in this series talking about what it looks like from God's point of view. Because God's point of view is always going to be different from our point of view from the onset. Here's what we mean. This week we're talking about seeing our past the way we see it and then looking at that as God's future. Our past is God's future. Now that may sound confusing, but we're going to dive in and take a look at it and see exactly what the Lord is trying to lay out for us this morning. Now, I'd invite you to join me in prayer before we get in here. Let's just open our hearts and just let God speak. And you know, this is the best part of coming through the word and binding together like this as a family as we give over all of ourselves to God and we receive from him exactly what he wants to say to each one of us as a community and as individuals, as families. And so let's ask him for that now. God, we just ask that your presence would come your spirit would pour out, that you would speak clearly to my heart exactly what it is you want to say to me today. I know that that is enveloped by a love song, the song of Jesus coming to die for me and then rise again from the grave for me so that I might have a new life with my brothers and sisters seated here and others. God, I ask that you come and and show me a new perspective. Show me the way you would have me look in the rearview mirror of my life. In your name we pray and together we say, amen and amen. So when I was 16, I got my driver's license and I had a girlfriend. My girlfriend lived about 25 minutes away from me. I was at my girlfriend's house one night and noticed by my watch that I had missed my curfew already. The curfew to be home had passed by 20 minutes prior. And I was still at her house having a good time and cutting up and everything and forgot time. Now, I know you guys have probably been there in some way, form, or fashion. What I did is I got in my car and started to drive back home. I had 25 minutes to go. But I thought, you know, since it's about midnight, I might make up a little bit of time. And so I drove a little bit faster than I normally would. I was 16 years old. And then as I was about halfway home, and this was out in some country roads down in North Georgia and Southeast Tennessee area, I began to uh, hear a sound and see those dreadful lights. I looked in the rearview mirror and saw that a police officer had tagged me going something like 15 to 20 miles an hour over the speed limit. I got pulled over. I was shaking. I almost threw up in my mouth a little bit. And when the officer approached the door, I was so young and so new at driving. I'd never been through that experience before. I won't tell you how many times I've been pulled over since then, but I seem to have more experience and calm if it ever happens these days. Maybe it's just the Lord working through me. I don't know. But anyway, back then I was scared to death and I ended up going to court and standing before the judge. I remember my mom asking the judge, your honor, should we just go ahead and take his license away? Silence. And then the judge looked at me and kind of looked me up and down and he said, I don't know, Mrs. Curtis, I think maybe we should give him one more chance. And then my heart just kind of settled back into its normal place because I could just see what kind of hell my life would become if I didn't have my car, right? (laughs) 
and they didn't have my license. So, so they gave me my license back. I had grace back, but I'll never forget that experience of seeing those lights in my rearview mirror for the first time. And I'll kid you not, every great once in a while, if I mistakenly happen to find myself driving over the speed limit, I tend to look in the rearview mirror to see if there's anything there. Do you have that experience yourself? Once you've been tagged and pulled over, uh, whether your license was taken or not, you have this experience of looking in the past and looking in the rearview mirror with a little bit different perspective. Now, I would suggest the children of Israel might have had that experience as well. When Jeremiah the prophet was prophesying to them, what was happening was they were getting ready to be conquered by Babylon. And when the Babylonians conquered you, you knew it. Here's how you knew it. They destroyed your defenses and came in and captured you and relocated you to a new home, which would have been another place, another province that they would have conquered previous to yours. So what they did is they came in and they took your home, they took your center of comfort, they took the place where your past had context and rooting, where perhaps you had grown up and become comfortable with your family. They took that place and those circumstances and they flipped them around on their head and they moved you to a new place that was uncomfortable and unfamiliar to you. And part of the reason they did that was to strip your identity from you was to take your past away from you, the past that helped form your identity. And so as Jeremiah is prophesying to the children of Israel, going through this experience, or getting ready to go through this experience, this is the context of the words that both V and Tem talked about a little bit earlier. Jeremiah is not saying to the people of Israel, I'm going to rescue you from the immediate consequence of going to Babylon. You have disobeyed me, kingdom of Israel. You've turned your back on me. You've turned away from my law and the way I want you to live because I love you and know what's best for you. And since you've done that, I'm going to allow you to be conquered and carried off into captivity. And so in fact, this was the king, technically this was the kingdom of Judah. Judah was conquered by the Babylonians. This was 586 or so BC, and they were carried off into captivity. Here's what Jeremiah says, and we're just gonna read this one more time if you'll let me read it for you. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place, which would have been what? Their home in Jerusalem, Judah. Judea, right? I will come to you and fulfill my promise to bring you back to this place, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me. I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with what? All your heart, not half-heartedly or through surface-level religion, but with all your heart. What do you think is the most important part of this verse? The all your heart part, isn't it? I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. I'll gather you from all the nations and places where I've banished you, declares the Lord, 
and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. See, here's the idea. Jeremiah is teaching a group of people who've completely lost their homes. Their homes are gone. They don't have any context for home anymore because their homes have been eradicated and they've been carried off. But what's fascinating about that is even as Babylon destroyed their temple in Jerusalem, which was kind of the center and the heart of their faith, some 70 years later, Babylon had been conquered by another kingdom, the kingdom of Persia. And Persia, almost 70 years later, allowed a group of people that were left from the kingdom of Judah to go back to Jerusalem and begin to rebuild the temple right at about 70 years later. So Jeremiah was prophesying and was telling the kingdom of Judah, here is what's going to happen to you because of your disobedience. You're going to have an experience where your home, your very identity is taken away from you. And the rear view mirror that you see in the past is gonna be one that is filled with pain, with sorrow, with loss, with dejection, and with self-doubt. You're gonna see a past that is completely separate and completely different than perhaps what you expected, all as a consequence of your sin, all as a consequence of your turning away from me. But in the same time that Jeremiah is sharing what those consequences are going to be and that they're not gonna be pretty, he says, I have a hope and a future for you. In other words, as many times as you fail, as many times as you fall, as many times as you drop yourself on the ground and worship another God aside from me, I will continue to love you. I will continue to think of you. And I will continue to have a plan for you that I have set in time that you will realize and be a part of. And there is nothing that you can do to rid yourself of my love. Now for the next 70 years, you're going to have to trust me. And did they? Well, let's take a look and kind of see how that plays out. Those 70 years went by and the king there in Persia allowed a group of people to go back and begin to build the second temple in Jerusalem, begin to build the second wall around the city. And when that happened, the kingdom of Judah began to feel their identity again, began to feel the concept of home again. What is it about home that makes us at home. What is it about your home that makes you comfortable there? Is it the stuff you have in your home? Is it the house your home is in? Is it the people who occupy your home with you? Which of those is it or is it all of those things? See what happened was the kingdom of Judah had to determine what their home really was. Was it a temple where they could go and worship God? Was it a place called Jerusalem? Or was it their God himself? See, this is what was so challenging and destructive about World War II. This is a little boy named Freddie in 1939. Freddie in 1939 was being told that he was gonna be moved out of his home because his home was under siege. The Germans were dropping bombs. 
And the most difficult and horrifying thing about the displacement of Jews, even after they'd been moved back into Jerusalem generations and generations before to rebuild their temple and to rebuild their home, the places where they lived scattered all over the world were still under attack in World War II. And one man in particular made it impossible for Jews to live in safety and peace. And the way he did that was by displacing them, taking them out of their homes. Do you remember what happened to the Jews? Now, don't think for, for just yet, don't think about the Jews who were killed in, in, the, the, um, in the chambers, the gas chambers. Think about where they lived before they went to the gas chambers or where they made their escape. They lived in ghettos and places that were not their homes. They were displaced, moved. The comfort and peace that they would have felt at home that you and I have and perhaps take advantage of every day, that was stripped away from them. And their identity to them became a curse where they had to wear that star and be persecuted. And that whole campaign was partially about ridding the world of its Jews, but it was also about fear. It was also about the idea of creating fear about our past where we look into our past and see what we've done or who we've been or what we've said or who we've hurt or what we've been involved in and we began to think of ourselves as unredeemable by God. As someone who can't be saved because of the things I've done, the things I've said or the things I've even thought the scripture says. We begin to look at our past as a curse, something that follows us around like a big dark cloud that we cannot get rid of on our own power no matter what we do. But even in the face of World War II's destruction and the rubble, even when people were going back to the places where their homes used to be and were sifting through the rubble, the rubble they found that their homes were with each other and that their identities were, if they were people of faith, that their identities and their homes were found in God and not in the stuff that was destroyed. Their homes and their identities were found with God and not with the stuff that was destroyed or could be destroyed. And so for us, the idea becomes this. If you look in 1 John chapter 4, this is how God sums up how to deal with that fear. The fear that when we look in the rearview mirror of life, the things that we see are not redeemable by God. Here's how God deals with that. He says in 1 John 4, God is love. If you want to know what God is, God is love. Well, but maybe you think that's not enough. I need more of a scientific explanation. No, you don't. God is love, and it's just that simple. Here's what that looks like. Whoever lives in love lives where? In God. Now, we're redefining home here. We are repositioning the past here. When we are tempted to live in a past that is less than perfect and call that my home, God is saying, no, your past is not where you belong. Your past is not your home. Live in me. I am love. 
and I receive you as you are with the past you have. And I will redefine and displace you from that home and take you to a new place, the home of my heart. The Bible says whoever lives in love lives in God and God lives in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. What judgment? The day of God's judgment of all humankind, which is coming. You and I have confidence on that day. In this world, we are like Jesus. And it very plainly and clearly says here, which I love this, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with what? punishment. So if you're still looking in the rearview mirror of your life and seeing punishable offenses in the past, punishable thoughts, words, and deeds, if you still see them and live in them, if they are still a part of you, defining who you are, then God has a word for you today. And this is a word that is not qualified by what you do from here on. This is a word that is qualified by what Jesus has done and by what he has done alone. You are made free from the sins of your past and from making a home in them. Now think about this for a second. You and I are used to hearing the message here quite plainly and frequently. Jesus died for all your sins, past, present, and future. And you don't have to worry about the consequences of them anymore because God gives you peace as you live each day in life now, even if you face negative consequences from them, right? But sometimes we still hold on to the past, the past who we were before Jesus, as if it is who we are. Sometimes we still look in the rearview mirrors of our life and see the old me and think that's still the case. That's still who I am. But then God comes along and redefines that person. He says that person is no longer what you see in the past. That person is now a person who walks with Jesus, who lives in him, whose home has become Jesus. So that no matter where you are and who you're with, no matter what home you're in or neighborhood you're in, no matter what clothing you wear or car you drive, no matter what job you work or friends you have, no matter how bad you were in the past, that person is gone. And the person you are now is the person who walks with Jesus. And that is all you are. And that is all you need. And that is everything. It's what Jesus called in John chapter 10, verse 10, the abundant life, walking with Jesus. The abundant life looks like this. The abundant life takes us step by step with Jesus where we walk with Christ every day. We find our center in him. We find our energy in him. We find our home in him. He defines us and makes us who we are. And it's just like the disciples on the day that they saw Jesus physically rising up into the air and they're standing there with their mouths hanging open like, what did he just do? And then there are a couple of angels down here on the ground saying, what are you guys waiting for? Take what it is God has given you, a new home in him, a new perspective on your past, 
a past that can be used by him to glorify himself, to lift his name up, and to share it with people who don't have him. Here's what I mean. The weaknesses and failures of the past, like with St. Peter, who denied Jesus how many times? Three times. But then was restored by Jesus later after he rose from the dead. How many times? Three times. Just like Peter, he's able to take you and me, use what is in our rearview mirror to show our weakness and dependence upon him, which gives him glory. What that does for another person who doesn't know God is profound and eternal. Someone who doesn't know God, but knows God in you, has met the living God. Now you're not the living God, and neither am I. What is it that keeps us grounded in that fact? It's the fact that we have a past that is weak and failed. But it's also the fact that God has redeemed us, has redeemed us to use that past to show love to untold numbers and names of people, to unseen faces of people. Have you ever thought about your past that way? Do you still live in your past? Do you still see yourself the same way you were when you were in your past? God has said that your past is not your home. Here's what we mean when we say that it is my past, but it is God's future. Did you know that God's future for you is no less different than the future he had for the kingdom of Judah, who is in captivity in Babylon? Seventy years out, Babylon would be conquered by the kingdom of Persia and release Judah to go back to home, go back where home was. The same redemption happens with you and with me through Jesus. And did you know that if you look in the rear view mirror at your past and see who you were before Jesus, that it's okay for you to see God's future in that. What does that mean? It means that no matter what I did, no matter what I said, no matter what I thought, perhaps even no matter what I'm doing, saying, or thinking in sin right now, God has redeemed me through Jesus and will use my weakness to show himself what? Strong. You see how this works? It's very simple, but we get caught in the deception of looking in the past and living there. That is not where we live. We live in God's future. Look at what John says in chapter 15. The Bible says, live in me, says God. <clears throat> Make your home in me just as I do in you. In the same way that a branch can't bear grapes by itself, but only by being joined to the vine. You can't bear fruit unless you are what? Joined with me from the message translation. I love the way this is put. The idea is simply this. That God calls you to look into your past and to see it as clear, clean, wiped away. 
But when you're ever tempted to see the old junk, to see those lights flashing, to hear the siren, if you were like me, and remember who you were, let that be of comfort to you. Because that person has been redeemed by God and has been saved for a purpose and a reason. The rear view is just the same as the future view. It's all God's future in you and through you. If you're ever having a conversation with somebody who doesn't know God, don't doubt yourself. Have faith that God has let you go through the stuff of the past so that that stuff can somehow bring glory to him. Here's what I mean by that. If I were sitting with a 16-year-old kid who'd just been pulled over for speeding and lost his license, I'd have a context for a connection with that kid, wouldn't I? We would have an almost shared experience, wouldn't we? It would give us a place to have conversation from. And then I can share what it is that God has done in my life. By the way, even though that happened to me too, I know that God loves me and has redeemed me and saved me for a reason. And that is true for you as well. Well, how do you know? Because God calls us to live where? Not in the home of the past, but where? Live in me. You see how simple that is? And that's good news for everyone you know. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? God, thank you so much for your good news. Thank you for the construct of the past being put in its proper place. Thank you for giving me a way to look into my past and smile. Sometimes, God, I confess, I look into my past and I fret over that. I look at that big mess that my past was. And even some carryovers of that into my present life. And I lament over that. I feel sorry about that. But you come around with the good news again and again and remind me what that past is for. It is because you have plans for me to prosper me and not to harm me. You've called me to live in you as my home. You are where I find my place, my identity. And my past merely becomes a function of that. Thank you for saving me in this way that I can love you with my whole heart, that I can remember you and be changed by you, that I can be free indeed with no strings attached. In your name we pray and together we say amen and amen. amen. Why don't we stand and sing back to God?